I think that in Texas it's very interesting separate mind. I think that I, I came to foreign country and I have to find out what languages they're speaking here. I, I was raised on BBC. And that's how uh, this was my real education, mm-hmm. not in university, but in BBC. Hey, this is Matt. Today, Tom and I talked to Alexander Guinness. Alexander is a uh, host at Radio Liberty, a writer who is an expert on Russian literature. We talked about his life as an immigrant to the United States and somebody who's caught between cultures. I think you guys will really enjoy it. You're listening to The Slavic Connection. To you by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Alexander Guinness, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here. How has Texas treated you so far? Uh, it's a crazy country. <laughs> I've seen, uh, I've heard that in school you're supposed to pledge allegiance to Texas and then to me. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that, that you're on a brick of separation, right? <laughs> well, I think that's a good theme for our program right now. You're kind of a man on fences between countries. That's, you know, every Texan feels the same way. Fences make good neighbors, said <laughs> Robert Frost. Yeah. It's that retaining wall, I think. Yes. Yeah, that one. No, I really don't know anything about Texas, but the big skies, that's all that mm-hmm. you can see. Of course. We moved a little bit around from station college station to Austin, and I've seen two long horse, one cowboy, and a lot of clouds. <laughs> so is uh, Texas crazier than New York City in your experience so far? It's different madness. Mm-hmm. And I think that in Texas, it's very interesting separate uh, mind. Because I've been in a historical museum, and I've seen so many artifacts. I think that I... I came to foreign country, and I have to find out what languages they're speaking here. <laughs> and it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love to be in Texas. It's it's different. It's really right. different. You can feel it every moment that I'm here, and everything really huge. Apartment, buildings, rooms, tables, stakes, everything is so... Even cows are very big. So, so the stereotypes turned out to be true. Stereotypes used to be true because they're stereotypes. No, that's why they're stereotypes. Yeah. I love stereotypes. I think that the banal, banal is very important in our work because mm-hmm. you can't uh, struggle with banal because it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how long will you be here? How many days? That's another day in Houston tomorrow. Oh, Houston, yeah. But there I will be talking with Russian mm-hmm. in Houston. When you found yourself in New York, were you in Brighton Beach when you first came over? or? No. Uh, what were you living? No, I was living in Manhattan and Brighton Beach. I understand that it's very famous stuff, mm-hmm. but you know, Brighton Beach is our Chinatown. Yeah. We came there to eat, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, that's a very small portion of Russian who lived in China or who live in Brighton Beach. And it's a very small part of Chinese who live in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Only three <laughs> percent. I checked it. Mm-hmm. So no, I wasn't. But uh, I've seen Brighton Beach when it his was born. I even wrote a essay about Brighton Beach, and it was very famous because no one wanted to be on Brighton Beach because it's it was embarrassing. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not think so. I think that it's another Odessa. Odessa is a, a motherland of Russian humor and Jewish too. Yeah, little Odessa, right? I believe. Yeah, they call and it. it's important because they have very funny way of talking. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, I would when I picture 1970s New York, I picture it being unsafe for anyone who lives there. Someone coming from Russia, I assume you spoke English, probably not the best English. Do you think you were received well? Were you comfortable? Did you feel at home? Or was this another planet? It was another planet completely. And what about language? It's a very interesting story because I studied language in school, at university. I read William Sarayan. I think that I need two, maximum three weeks, because Americans are, don't know real English. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very disappointed with my English. Mm-hmm. You know, my first experience with New York, when I came, it was October 18, 1977. October 19, I went out from hotel, and I said, decided where I'm supposed to go, downtown or uptown? And it was the 91st Street. And I think up is better than down. And in 10 minutes, I was in the middle of Harlem. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't Harlem like this today. Right. It was Harlem like Harlem. It mm-hmm. was ruins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the next, my terrible story was, I was smoking there. I want to buy matches. And I, it was my first contact with Americans. And I said, dear sir, can I ask you to sell me a box of matches? <laughs> and the guy looked at me and said, no. <laughs> say, why? Because it's free. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's good. So, I mean, what have you noticed that is, I mean, everything's changed in New York so much. But I'm thinking about some of your essays were coming from a turn of 2000s in America. Was it America from A to Y? Do you think those sort of observations are totally different now? And the internet age and, you know, no, 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 there's some, some things that are outdated. For example, books, because it's not anymore here, yeah, right. <laughs> bookstores, mm-hmm. for example. It was my best impression that America's bookstore is my paradise, and now I don't, we don't have bookstores at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, no, I don't think that it's outdated because it's mostly about difference between, not Russia, but old world and new world. Mm-hmm. And the differences stay the same. It's not a lot of changes here because it's fundamental stuff in Americans that make it so di- different than us in every way. If you read the book, you, you can see that mm-hmm. everything different from toilet to house to school to church to everything that's not look like in Europe. And we came from Russia, but it was and is part of Europe. Nevertheless, I understand the difference. But so the things did different in, 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 in this mm-hmm. part of the world in America. And for me, discovery of America is a work in progress. I'm still discovering, like example, for example, Texas. When I see this one star, and it's a huge star, yeah? yeah? Much bigger than 50 stars mm-hmm. <laughs> together. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And I understand that it's another America, and I still have to discover this one too. It's a strange story, because I live here for 40 years, and I'm still discovering new pieces of America, how people, how you people can live together, I can't understand. Mm-hmm. You had this really good observation about how, like, malls are kind of like suburban need for city life, but we hate city life, so we just put it in these kind of squares. And it's you talk about it's the safe. Right. talk about Mall of America a yeah. lot. Did you actually visit it? Or was that like a... Actually, I hated it. And now it's disappearing <laughs> all the, yeah, yeah. in every place. But mall, it looks like 
subway in the city, in the foreign city. You never know where the exit. And you know exactly the same thing in casino in Las Vegas. You never can find an exit. That's why I hate Las Vegas too. No clocks, no exits, no windows. No windows and you have a lot of things to do. Besides playing games, I don't know what else. I recently was in a conference and my friend Uh, Russian study, Russian scientist, he said, what a strange people, they always play games. I say, can you imagine how strange we are for them if we don't play games? <laughs> don't gamble, why we yeah. came to Las Vegas? Well, we kind of, you know, we annex our gambling. It's in one area, but, yeah, but we have no choice But the to. most important, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. And then I remember a couple other observations. You talked about, this is pre-9-11, you're talking about how airports turn people into sort of prefab furniture, which I just thought was the funniest sort of image <laughs> in my head. What kind of what kind of reception were you getting to American Y back then? Was the scene as sort of particularly subversive or? No, I don't think so. Uh, my Russian friends once said that it's like Fabergé X. Mm-hmm. Do you know Fabergé X? It's uh, very... Uh, strange things from uh, jewels, mm-hmm. and uh, my friend told me that it's a very concise prose, so he liked it. But no, I don't have any uh, negative about this. In Russia, they read it like fantasy mm-hmm. and something like utopia. Uh, in America, they said, yeah, it's okay. I think the same. <laughs> What, what's the problem? <laughs> and you think that's something just about how each culture, like, deals with its satire. America has so much satire coming against it that it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, we get it. <laughs> Everything is a little strange. <laughs> But it's, uh, America doesn't really interesting about what people say about it. Uh, mm-hmm. America. In Russia, they always think what foreigner mm-hmm. will tell about Russians. It's mm-hmm. in all Russians' movies, you can find foreigner. And mm-hmm. he says something deep and important or stupid. Doesn't matter. But yeah. he said something. Something. Mm-hmm. In America, you, 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 you can't have foreigner. Mm-hmm. Foreigner is a guy who passes off yeah. without any importance. Well, yeah, I always notice that in like award season for movies. So the Oscars, they'll pick you know whatever they think is the best movie. The Golden Globes, which is the foreign press, it's always a movie by a foreigner who's making something about America. It has to be someone's like outside perspective. It's not bad country. at all because something, some the best movies that I've seen about America made from foreigners. For example, mm-hmm. Paris, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yesterday I was in art museum too, and I've seen the picture, it's cost Paris, Texas, two girls in oil country. Mm-hmm. My God, I was shocked <laughs> because I've seen the movie and I think that it invented, but it's mm-hmm. not, it's true. It's, mm-hmm. There is a Paris, Texas, and I love the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, the Nick Nolte observation too of Toblatov. Yeah, yeah. He, he loved every everybody who is not a hero. Mm-hmm. And in America, it's, it's strange. It's strange because you have a, f- a lot of people who is not mm-hmm. hero in movies, mm-hmm. <laughs> superhero or underhero. <laughs> right. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. And now, Superman. I mean, I want to. I want to ask you about what, it, how your perceptions once you started getting involved with Radio Svoboda, and did that start did, when you were working in this kind of international environment with all these people? Did that start to change your view of America? What was that like when you first started working there? Oh, you know, uh, radio is completely different media, and I loved it very much because when you're writing, you always can come back and read it again, but not in radio. And radio is a very direct 
media and mm-hmm. it's a it's very difficult to lie on radio it's possible but it's difficult right. <laughs> and uh, you have to have real emotion when you talk with it so radio for most my discovery i work for radio for paper and for tv and it's completely different right. stuff mm-hmm. it's very strange for tv for example if you have a radio personality like exciting like elevated it's uh, very bad for tv it's supposed to be cool Mm-hmm. TV, and it's interesting. I, I love different media and international. I don't know. That's not the problem for me because I see only Mike. I didn't mm-hmm. see my people. Mm-hmm. I don't know who. who right. I'm talking with my microphone, right. and uh, it's no problem. And mostly I talk with microphone in my wife's closet, so it's, <laughs> it's even more crowded. Yeah. Uh-huh. Can you imagine? It? And so you've been conducting a show for since 1984, I believe, yes. and without 35 years. Yeah, without interruption. Without interruption. And never miss a program. Right. Today is Monday, and today is my program will be oh, in, yes, in yes. air in half an hour. Right. Wow. Yeah. It's and, I never missed a program. And so how do you prepare for each program? And like, when did you record this one for the example that's going to come out? Last week uh-huh. in my wife's closet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I, everything, even when I have surgery, for example, I, right. I, I always do something mm-hmm. in advance, and I never missed it. I don't know why. It's uh-huh. like, you know, nervous. And, and just kind of in your own mind, how do you go about the process of picking a topic for each episode? Is there It's s- very easy. I pick up only something that interesting me. Yeah. That's the most important part of right. my job. Never tell anything that I don't like right. or, or I don't in, not really interesting about it because it if it dull for me it would be dull for my listeners mm-hmm. but if I like it they will be interested anyway when they don't have choice right <laughs> well you assume if they like you you know they like what you're interested in ideally uh, that's why they listen to me mm-hmm. why not yeah. yeah and I I talk about whatever I do right now exhibition or politics or or travel or Texas mm-hmm. that I will <laughs> I'll talk about when I come back. So, I mean, you mentioned earlier this this idea of audience, and you don't necessarily know who you are, but do you think about who your audience is for these for these radio? And do nah. you try to really nah. please them? Yeah, yeah, never, never try to please them because I uh, I think that they are like me. And I, I don't really interest who are they. It doesn't matter. It's the same people like me. Mm-hmm. And it's easy. It's easy. I will, maybe they're completely different. I now I have a lot of letters, of course, when it's internet, it's easy. Mm-hmm. And some people say that you know I love Putin. I say how can you love me and Putin? <laughs> I say it's my business, not yours. <laughs> they're right, right? Yeah, yeah, wow. And how has sort of the topics of your show evolved? I mean, recording in the mid '80s is obviously an entirely different climate, and you say you're not catering to your audience. So, uh, you know, not so different. Of course, the difference was uh, difference was the uh, historical situation because in '80s, when Perestroika came, we were very important. It was the golden age of Radio Liberty because we helped to make this reforms moved somewhere mm-hmm. do something it, it was really important and i am proud in my uh, struggle with uh, co- in cold war i'm a veteran of cold war you know <laughs> <laughs> and it was important in 80 it was important in 91 with the putsch time i remember it's terrible time and uh, now it's still important because uh, russia 
became a very dark country and a lot of people don't really uh, in culture at all. And I think that we supplement the problem with culture with our program because they don't, they lack it now. And uh, the old magazines, which were very important in Russian readership, they have circulation like 1,000. And it used to have a 1 million. Mm-hmm. So we try to to supplement this. And uh, that's how BBC working. That's what I, I was raised on BBC. My father listened to BBC every day of his life, never missed. And that's how, uh, this was my real education, mm-hmm. not in university, but in BBC. And I tried to, to give the same kind of, uh, I think that it's my debt, <laughs> return to, to people. This is the BBC Home Service. Home Service, two of the best words in the British language. And still, I'm sure, the only answer you can give to the question, what is radio for? So you were talking about, and uh, that we were experiencing before, about how when Russian society feels a lot of pressure, the U.S. is sort of the outlet, or at least the cultural, intellectual outlet. Do you think right now we're in a moment of, you know, suppression and pressure pushing the other way towards the U.S.? Or no, I think that the situation is completely different because during the Soviet time, America was the most important Russian influence in every way: movies, books. Jazz. But it was the best part of American culture. And now we have the whole enchilada. And that's a very disappointing <laughs> story. You know, we have five, ten movies. We have five, ten writers. But now we have tons of writers. All others are very stupid. And movies, of course, anything. And, of course, the most of the movies, it's not interesting at all. It's not important. So it's like uh, swamp, you know. It's everything the same. And uh, uh, Russian readers, the same like everybody else. They read Harry Potter. Everybody, right? That's it. Mm-hmm. I... In your talk, you talked about how, you know, there's Solzhenitsyn, Brodsky, and Tavlatov. And the first two won the Nobel Prize in Literature. You know, Americans, you know, maybe certainly educated Americans, people who maybe went to university, might have heard of these people, might have read them at some point. But I don't think that there's very many um, young Americans around our age, for example, or about our age, who have read Tavlatov. Do you think that Tavlatov would would be useful for somebody of our age who's out again who's outside totally outside of our Russian the difference history. is that I don't believe that you read Solzhenitsyn or Brodsky but you should read Davlato because you enjoy it and Solzhenitsyn of course it's very important from a historical point of view but I don't know a lot of young Americans who is interesting in a historical point of view or thick books like Solzhenitsyn wrote and Brodsky poetry is a very difficult even for Russian and translation is not easy and essay is very complicated it's not for everyday reading only like stupid like me can do it on his vacation but Davlatov for everybody and I know how because I travel a lot and I've seen Slavic people who translated Davlatov in many many different countries in Japan in Italy in Poland Everywhere. And everybody in Hebrew, in Israel, and everybody loved Davlatov. I never seen anyone who don't like the, who doesn't like Davlatov because it's easy reading and it's about human condition. It doesn't supposed to be 
specifically Russian right. stuff. It's about everybody. Everyone is drunk. Everyone is uh, has problem with his wife. Everyone is loser. It's about human condition, and it's funny. And the most important thing in love, it's comedy. It's the most difficult genre at all. And a lot of uh, he know how to do funny things. And translation, of course, very important. And uh, he was very. He said once, I don't want to be translated word by word. I want to be translated smile by smile. Mm-hmm. And if you find good translation, you, you, you enjoy it. it absolutely. Uh-huh. Believe me. <laughs> and are you satisfied with the English translations of, of, of Suitcase, for example? Uh, I knew translators very well, and they did a lot of good job. And you can find uh, satisfaction in this prose. But it's difficult to me to be a judge because I knew the right, original. Sure, you know. That's why I prefer that I was my books translated in some Japanese or, or Italian <laughs> when you French. And I was good to me. Yeah, yeah. because in English I said, "Why? Well, what yeah, do you mean?" Yeah, yeah. It's a difficult thing. What, what I will say is, when I first got to Russia, I had known about Solzhenitsyn and Brodsky, but I had not heard of Dovlatov. And then when I got there, I started making some friends. And lo and behold, when I asked one of my good friends, Ilya, like, who, who's, like, what, what, what Russian literature do you read? He said, Chimadan. And he gave me the Vlatov's book. And so that was my first kind of, kind of breaking out of a stereotypical mold of these people that I mm-hmm. had seen and then see, whoa, this is what somebody my age is actually yeah. reading. And I can imagine that you see the Russian writers with big bird and like Tolstoy and very dull and very long mm-hmm. and a lot of was opposite of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a big deal. So I think that he has a future in America. And so do you think, I mean, just in the last you know few decades, America... You talk about how Russia has gotten all of American culture and you can focus on the crappy part of it and it's not as impressive. Think that's the same with writers? We don't have the same sort of like, you know, one or two names we can pick out of a hat. Think that's because of just how much culture we have and how much. No, I think because it's not time for literature at all. Mm -hmm. I'm not believing in literature now because uh, it used to be like in the 50s, 1950s, I mean. It was the last great writers. Hemingway, when you talk about it, he was the most famous man in the world. Not writer, man. Can you imagine? Everybody knew Hemingway. And uh, now we don't have writers like this, and maybe because it's not literature time. Maybe if you want to do something, you go to Facebook, or, mm-hmm. or you go to podcast, or you go to even something that we don't invent it yet. But it's I think that... Internet is made us different, you know, like printing press. Mm-hmm. It's changed everything. Mm-hmm. It's just small invention, but it's changed completely the uh, literature. Novel, for example, uh, appeared because of printing press. Mm-hmm. Before this, it was Bible. And after that, it became different. So I think that Internet moves us in completely another direction. And even movies will change a lot. So we don't have writers because time don't need this, doesn't need this writers today. It's not in America, in everywhere. In, right. Look at Nobel Prize winner for the last 10 years. Nobody knows them. Mm-hmm. Do you, and so I just want to make sure I understood you correctly. You, you don't necessarily believe in the future of literature, but do you still read like contemporary literature, things written in the past, say, 10 years? You know, I read, of course, a little bit, but uh, I, from my point of view, the best Amer- if you ask me who my best American writers are now, 
I say it's brother Cohen, Woody yeah, Allen, exactly. and Tarantino. Right. It's the best writer yeah. that I know. Right. And uh, it's not a joke. Mm-hmm. I think that Tarantino is definitely the best writer that I've ever read for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And that's it's not literature time. If you have some good idea, you go to Hollywood and not to New York Times publisher house. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's against me, but what yeah. can I do? <laughs> Hold on to your chairs, folks. We'll just have to sit around and guess. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's something completely different. You know, I mean, I would say, at least in today's world, there's been, like, no more, and no more time in history has it been harder to be bored. And I think being bored is, being bored or being oppressed is how you create something truly new or significant. It's so hard to be bored now. It's just everything is designed to take your attention for another second, another second. I wrote a book, short book, it's called Obituaries. And that's obituaries to things like boredom, mm-hmm. to things like <laughs> like handwriting. And a lot mm-hmm. of things about, and one of this obituary was about boredom. And I said that you can't write, or you can do create any creative thing without boredom, boredom, because you have to be bored to start something. And it's very important to be bored till hysteria. You have to do something. And if you don't have this impulse, you just look at your phone till you're dead. Right. This is the greatest moment of my life. Yeah, it's so funny you bring up this topic of boredom. And so I did go see the Davlatov movie in 2018 that came out. I was in Russia at the time, and I went and uh, saw it with a friend. And we both really liked it and we thought it was entertaining and we really felt like we were part of this atmosphere but other friends of ours who saw this said oh it's it's boring um and so i think that our culture today is just not we, we we're not able to really delve into an atmosphere and appreciate it's it like strange that. it's strange for you because it's really bored there is a boredom on this movie because it was very the time was full with boredom because you couldn't do anything. I remember it was, that's why we wanted to escape to any place. And you know, it's like black and white movie and color movie. And when I came to America, it's not color movie, it's animation. (laughs) It's also Disney. (laughs) So it's very easy to understand. That's why I love the movie because uh, Alexei German, he was a young guy. He didn't remember this time. I remember, but he didn't. And he's somehow showed how difficult and terrible was this boredom. So first of all, it's a great time. It's not black like Stalin time. It's great time. Stalin time was very good in his father movie, Khrushchev Machina. This one. This is was really black movies, and his son made gray movies. So, I mean, how would you describe your time growing up in Russia in that sort of window? I mean, I think you were born two days after Stalin died, so you're in the, the thick of the thaw pretty much this year. I don't remember Stalin, of course, and uh, but you can't live in Russia without Stalin. You always live with Stalin. Even today, Stalin is more important than anyone else, more important than Putin, than anybody else. Stalin is... Uh, uh, main influence in Russia, and uh, the strange thing that a lot of people love him and and wanted him back. Somebody who is strong and serious, and he can show how America is bad 
and punish it. <laughs> so stupid. That's why I didn't go to Russia after the Crimean incident. After 2014, I, I never been in Russia. I stopped going. You anything else here? No, not that. Not You've that. had a bit of a marathon. We don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, what do you plan on writing next? Are you going to focus on? I'm writing a column in a newspaper, Novaya Gazeta. Mm-hmm. New, new. It's the only opposition newspaper in Russia. My friends, and I'm uh, writing a book. It's called The Skin of Time. I tried to figure out what is how time, our time, uh, make uh, impression on our skins, like tattoo. Mm. That's what I'm trying. What's change is everyday life uh, during today. It's uh, I wrote about future, I wrote about past, and now I wrote about present. Mm. And that's I did already three years, and I think that next year will be next book. It will be called Skin of Time. I have one more question that I want to ask you again in Russian as well a little bit later. But, you know, I was talking to one of my professors before you started your talk. And what she said to me is that, you know, this is one of the kind of the last members of this Russian intelligentsia from a different era. And what's really interesting is who is going to take somebody like your place? What is there going to be after you, people who really kind of understand Russian culture? And do you feel like that those people are, are out there? Or? I didn't know them because they stay in Russia. They not moved with me. Right, right. <laughs> and when I came in America, I was 24 years old. And that's important because the old people whom I talk today about, they're much older than me, 15, 20 years older. And I was uh, younger. That's why I always went for vodka to liquor store <laughs> because I was the youngest. And nowadays I, I, I'm the oldest. I'm veteran. And they all died, you know, it's terrible. And I didn't know the young. But I'm sure that culture, somehow, it's like influence. You can't kill it. It's always became alive again and again. And we didn't know how it looks because we wanted them look the same as we are. But it's stupid, because when I came to America, why elder people from uh, the people who came in America in, before the war, from the escape from Lenin, not from Brezhnev, and they decided that I and my generation are uh, barbarians. They didn't even talk to us, because we don't know how to speak Russian. We didn't know anything. It's a, our culture is a Soviet culture. They didn't understand how it's possible to live like this, like Brodsky or Davlatov or, or Solzhenitsyn even. The people from different planet. And I'm afraid that when I was young and I heard all this, I promised myself when I became old like these people, I never said that the young people are stupid because I remember how it was. But of course I missed and I, I, I told it many times. <laughs> well, Alexander, thank you so much for talking to us. This has thank been a blast. You. Thank you. Thank it you. was a wonderful talk. Thank you. The views expressed on this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the show or the University of Texas. Please visit SlavXRadio.com for more information. Thank you for listening. The Slavic Connection is produced by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you. Thank you.